Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Most of us know the legendary story of the blind man and the elephant. Each man would touch one part of the elephant to learn what it was like. Each one feels a different part, only one specific part, such as the side or the tusk or the tail. Then they would compare notes, and they'd learn that they're in complete disagreement about what they experienced and can't decide what an elephant is. In many ways, this is the contemporary story of our Napa Valley. For some, it's an agricultural oasis. For others, they long for the old days of cattle and a variety of crops. Others see and appreciate the proliferation of world-class wineries and winemaking and the uniqueness and hospitality inherent in engagement tourism. The opportunity to meet and interact with growers and winemakers and chefs. Some see the valley as the world-class community it's become, and others lament that they came here to retire, to take long walks and play golf, and feel they are withering under the success of the valley. At the same time, wineries see it from the point of view of their problems of distribution and marketing in an unforgiving global marketplace. So who decides what the elephant of Napa Valley is? Certainly the buck stops with the elected board of supervisors. However, backing up the board are an extensive staff, led in large measure by Napa County Planning Director David Morrison. As the county is in the crucible of determining its fate, as the APAC recommendations begin to trickle down, it seems a really good time to talk with David Morrison. It's my pleasure to welcome him to NapaBroadcasting.com today. David, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. You've been doing a little bit of a road show over the past several months doing presentations to various groups and certainly uh, to some large groups as it relates to the various winery issues, pre-APAC issues that came up. Talk a little bit about why you wanted to do that and why you think it was important to set the record straight in terms of the facts of what's going on here in Napa as opposed to everybody's facts as interpreted through their own individual lens. Well, absolutely. The, there are, a lot, as you uh, rightly pointed out in the introduction, there are a lot of different perspectives on what Napa is, and I think that the um, actually I think that provides a wonderful dynamic tension uh, in terms of the interaction of all these various perspectives and and uh, in terms of defining the community. Uh, in terms of the roadshow, the uh, I think it's important that while the buck may stop with the board of supervisors. Um, there is one step beyond that, and that is the, the, the electorate, the population, those of us who all live and work and, and uh, love Napa so much. Uh, and you can't create consensus unless you go out and talk to people. So uh, besides meeting with a variety of industry groups and environmental groups and uh, real estate groups and business groups and sometimes rotary and, and local community groups, um, t- both to hear what they have to say and also to help them get a larger perspective on what's happening because these individual groups don't always talk to each other. They don't, unlike the uh, scholars looking at the elephant, all these groups don't always compare notes. And so uh, I've tried to become the, a medium through which these groups can talk and so that uh, we can get a fuller and more robust picture of what's going on. Once we have that, then I think we uh, can use the facts that are at hand uh, and not the preconceptions, not the myths, not the ideals, to uh, forge a vision for how we're going to proceed to meet the challenges coming up. One of the key points that, that you make in the presentation, and I think it's important to talk about, is the time warp aspect to this, that that everybody appreciates the winery definition ordinance. They realize how important it's been to the development of the valley. 
But oftentimes we forget that that got put in place in 1990, and we're almost 30 years later, and a lot's changed since then. A lot has changed. there's been the number of wineries have almost doubled since 1990. We've gone from about 200 to over 400. Uh, the population uh, of Napa has changed. We've added um, uh, 25,000 people since 1990, uh, and the population was uh, predominantly uh, white Caucasian in 1990. It's becoming more and more diverse. A lot of things have changed uh, in Napa over the last 25 years. And that's not to say that the WDO wasn't uh, incredibly uh, far-thinking at the time or wise, but uh, all things run to an end. And I don't think anybody's talking about trashing or get rid of it, but it's certainly time to look at it and see where it can be improved or tweaked or overhauled to uh, meet meet those changes that have occurred. Of course, when you talk about changing it in any way, shape, or form, it engenders a tremendous amount of fear in people. It's like opening Pandora's box mm-hmm. in so many ways. Yes, uh, and that's, again, where why communication is so important and why facts are so important so that we can uh, hear those f- fears out, uh, address them, find out uh, where there are um, compromises or solutions to help address the concerns that generate those fears and get to a place where we can uh, all move forward rather than um, uh, remaining... Uh, uh, away from each other, uh, too afraid to talk. One of the areas also that, that's changed in, in these intervening years since 1990 is the business side of all this, mm-hmm. that, that the wine business, and particularly here in the Napa Valley, has become big business. Even for the small wineries, it's big business. And there's a lot of money at stake, a lot that, that people have put on the line to really contribute to and participate in the success of the Valley. And, and to a large extent, that sometimes gets forgotten in the abstract discussion of some of these issues. I don't think it gets forgotten. I think people are keenly aware of it. Um, uh, in some cases, people are very welcoming of it. Uh, it's an enormous job center that provides a roof over the head and food on the table for many of the families who live here. Um, not only the wine owners, but all their workers, uh, as well as those who are in the hospitality industry and the hotels and restaurants and their employees. I think I think it's a very widespread understanding and appreciation of the engine that drives Napa Valley. But there's also uh, a concern among others about balance, and that some that uh, as uh, as thankful as we are for having such a wonderful growth industry here. Um, you don't want to necessarily sacrifice everything to the economy because then you'll lose the flavor, the inventiveness, the um, the very th- qualities that attract people to come here in the first place. From an economic perspective, it's very difficult where situations go backwards, that there's a tremendous amount of forward momentum in terms of so many of the things going on in the Valley right now. I certainly hope that that doesn't happen here. I mean, I can uh, think of examples. Uh, there are you know, places like Detroit and the Rust Belt that were fabulously successful in the 1940s and 50s and are ghost towns right now. Um, I think that it's uh, incumbent upon uh, staff such as myself to uh, continue to plan in the future to try and avoid the obstacles that other uh, metropolitan areas have faced to make sure that uh, we can avoid those pitfalls and continue to be successful in the future. Talk a little bit about how we begin to do that, how you think is, is the most effective way to address that, to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, the issue that seems to be in the forefront of the public mind currently is this question of balancing out um, tourism and, and uh, quality of life. And I think that, that 
is uh, something that needs to be addressed quickly and decisively because while that is a I think it's a very um, emotional and impassioned issue that strikes home for a lot of people especially those people who have uh, moved to Napa in the last 10 or 20 years who have sought to retire here Napa has done a great job of of uh, communicating how what a wonderful quality of life here there's good food there's good scenery there's good wine it's a relaxed pace of life where people can slow down to appreciate the things that are really important. Um, We've been so successful on that, that we've attracted people here who now value the lifestyle to some extent ahead of the processes that it takes to support that lifestyle. And so that has become a very uh, important issue in terms of of what we hear a lot at the county. But from my perspective, um, that's not the main challenge facing Napa right now. That is the most visceral and the most uh, mm-hmm. heartfelt one, but um, we have uh, challenges coming up in terms of population growth, in terms of additional vehicles and how we manage traffic congestion, water availability, housing availability. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's important to focus on this issue so that we can come to some solution and move on to the bigger questions that, that we have to deal with. As it relates to traffic, which is, if not number one for a lot of people, near the, t- the top two Absolutely. for sure, that it, it has been reported and, and put forth over and over again that so much of the traffic that, that people attribute to tourism is, in fact, locally generated traffic. We're still looking at that. In fact, we uh, are currently underway in uh, redoing our circulation element, which, ha- which looks at transportation policy throughout the valley and to get a better sense and and confirmation of where we stand with regards to congestion. Uh, But the numbers we've seen thus far through the uh, Napa County Transportation Agency indicate that about 55% of traffic are people who live and work here in Napa. Um, Another 30% roughly are people who commute into Napa, from uh, mostly from Solano and Sonoma County. Uh, There's about uh, 20% of it associated with the wine industry. Uh, and about uh, another uh, 10% of it that's just passed through. I realize that's more than 100%, but there's some, there's some uh, overlapping between right. those categories. But uh, the bulk, by far the majority of the traffic that we see are just people who are going to work, doing their shopping, going to school, going to the doctor, uh, and uh, taking care of their daily business. And we've added, as I mentioned earlier, we've added 25,000 people since 1990. Uh, that's the, pretty much the population of the American Canyon. Uh, we're going to be adding another 14,000 by 2030. We have to continue to expect there to be growth, and that growth is going to be a large driver in terms of uh, of traffic. Every house, it's uh, in, in, in planning circles, it's assumed that every house generates about 10 traffic trips per day. One of the other things that's fundamentally different than it was back in 1990 is the relationship between the cities and the counties, the interrelationship, the nexus between the two, both in terms of economic issues, which which we've touched on a little bit, but just in terms of, of both people moving around the valley and, and shopping in places they did before, going to stores they didn't go before. There is a much more unified flow in so many ways, both of money and people throughout the valley. I think Napa's really... Um we're in another stage of, of dealing, we're in another growing pain to some extent, uh, a maturation process of becoming less a isolated rural agricultural community and more being part of one of the uh, more preeminent metropolitan areas in the, on the planet in the San Francisco Bay Area. People are moving, uh, are shopping and uh, 
visiting and going to places uh, much more frequently. Uh, and uh, there's, uh, especially as the population becomes more concentrated, the used to, uh, if you go back again, 20, 30 years, more people lived in the country than do now. Uh, there wasn't a majority living in the country at that time. But more, as a percentage, more of them lived in the country at that time, fewer now. As we become more and more concentrated in the cities, um, we have to deal with more and more complicated sewer and water issues, with more complicated transportation issues uh, that aren't um, typical of a uh, rural farm area. And so I think part of this is just a, a redefinition of who we are and who we're becoming. That seems to have happened in Napa with some regularity um, historically. In 1970, uh, we established the Ag Preserve. In 1980, we uh, had the uh, established the 1% uh, limit on growth in the unincorporated area. In 1990, we had Measure J and we had the WDO. In 2000, we had the conservation regulations. So uh, it seems that about every 10 years, there's this um, debate that occurs in Napa. Uh, are we going where we want to be? If we're not going where we want to be, where did we go wrong and what do we need to do to correct course to go back on the path to where we're heading? And I think that really the current discussion is just another one of those temporary or one of those intermittent uh, redefinitions that Napa tends to go through with pretty frequent regularity. But I think it's um, it can be uh, uncomfortable. It can be um, fearful. But I think it's very healthy that uh, I haven't been in other communities like this that are constantly asking where are we and where are we going? It's a, it's a wonderful process to be part of. As you look at it objectively and historically, as somebody that, that spent a lot of years outside of here, what do you see as the reason for that every 10-year discussion about who we are, where we're going, what we should be doing? The population here is very engaged. Um, you don't see that uh, in other communities. Uh, in many places, um, uh, you hire government people to do all the things that you really don't care about. I tell my staff this all the time. Uh, government can be very boring, and other people have families and jobs. They go to sporting events. They have hobbies, and rightly so. They don't want to, you know, the, the mechanisms and the details of government can be very elaborate and, and not very interesting a lot of times. Um, I never intended on going into government or planning when I was a kid because at the time I thought it was so incredibly dull. Um, but here... These issues are of fairly strong importance to the people who live here. Um, people are aware of these issues. They are, they have opinions. They're not willing. They're they're willing to come and let their opinions be heard. They're willing to engage and be a, a part of the solution in many cases. And I think that level of activism, that level of participation, is something that I don't see in other places. That I think is uh, is is one of the things that's really uh, great as a civil servant to be working here. One of the things that we're seeing in so many parts of the county, it's certainly true uh, up Valley, and it's becoming more and more true uh, in Napa as well, is the number of second homes here, okay. the number of people that live elsewhere, you know, in the city or other parts of the Bay Area, San Jose, whatever, and that have weekend homes here. To what extent do you think that that is going to influence the public engagement and and really the attitudes of people who are really only here part at the time and have a different view of what should and shouldn't be taking place. That's a great question, Jeff. That is uh, that that is one of the um, that's one of those issues that doesn't get talked about a lot, um, but I think is having a significant effect. Um, 
not only second homes, but the issue of uh, uh, Airbnb or VRBO, the, the rental housing for uh, renting rooms out or whole houses out. Um, I think we're just on the cusp of that. Uh, this is an issue that isn't unique to Napa. This is an issue that uh, coastal communities up and down California are facing, especially in areas where people like to go and, and visit and, and, and uh, uh, recreate in. Um, and I think it's, to, to step back for a second, I think it's actually part of a larger issue even there in terms of the decentralization of the economy. Um, and I think the internet is uh, a prime mover of that phenomena. Uh, maybe it hasn't, it hasn't probably been this way for the last hundred years, but now all of a sudden homes are not just a place where you live in. It's a place where you can uh, make things in and sell on Etsy or eBay. So it's a, could be a manufacturing facility. It's a place where you sell, uh, where you can buy and sell, uh, and even do e-trading at home. So it's it can be a commercial facility, it can be a hotel if you're renting out, uh, and it can still be a place where you live in. A home is serving many functions now because of the access, that portal onto the larger world through the internet. And uh, the uh, a lot of the government regulations, a lot of the zoning and planning, uh, were concepts that were developed back in 1920, and they have not yet caught up to this decentralized market where we're not dealing with um, just one or two or three hotels. We're now dealing with hundreds in a community if every home is being rented out. Um, and that creates a very different set of problems in terms of uh, traffic congestion and others. But to get back to your main question, um, it has a lot, it has a number of very um, quiet impacts on a community. Uh, not only do you, as if this is your second home, you're probably not registered to vote here. So the, re the, the voter registration uh, drops out. Uh, if there are a number of second homes or rented or homes that are rented out solely for commercial purposes, those homes don't have children in them. So the schools start to empty out, uh, starting in elementary school and, and going on up. If you have a, a community with a lot of um, rented out homes or second homes, then you probably don't need a hardware store or a barber shop or a beauty salon or uh, a number of other small businesses that depend on a local base of customers because those customers are just here six or seven weekends of the month. Um, you have uh, neighborhoods where people are walking, maybe if you're one of the few people who live in those, still live full time in those neighborhoods, you may be walking around and you're not saying hi to any neighbors on the street. More importantly, during the daytime, there's no eyes on the street to watch. Uh, if uh, there's a, a burglar or a, a peeping Tom or somebody else, there's nobody on the street to know because there, nobody's there, nobody's living there. Um, and so it uh, has a cumulative effect on the fabric of community itself. The other issue it has is that people who are willing to pay $300 a night for a bedroom to stay in or uh, $2,000 for a home to rent for the weekend uh, or who are willing to pay above market price for a vacation home to stay in significantly drive up the cost of housing. Uh, Napa is not interested in becoming another um, San Jose. We're not going to become a million people anytime soon. We're not going to go out and, and build tracks and tracks of housing. So the housing supply is relatively limited. If the price is going up as that housing supply gets limited, it will be harder and harder for working in middle-class families to be able to afford to live here, which all means all we're going to have is more and more people commuting in to fill the jobs. And again, a, an erosion, kind of an, an eating out of the community from the inside out. And yet, as we look at the statistics, Napa is still one of the more affordable places to live in the Bay Area. 
I uh, have spent the last uh, 50 years living in the Central Valley, and I find Napa to be extraordinarily expensive coming from that area. But when you compare Napa to other uh, counties within the uh, nine-county Bay Area region, we're extremely affordable. the uh, median housing price in Napa as of uh, July this year was about $625,000. That's a lot of money to me. Um, but in uh, Alameda and Contra Costa County, the median is 800000 In the peninsula, it's over a million, I think. In, in San Jose and Marin, and, uh, uh, it's about a million. And in San Mateo and San Francisco, it's a million three. So if you're willing to pay, if you have a home in San Mateo for a million three, 625000 in Napa is dirt cheap. So the prices, there's still a lot of room for prices to go up in Napa. As we look at what's going on in Napa with second homes, with tourism, with all of these things happening, is it ever worthwhile to look at other communities that, have, that, are, that are dealing with similar issues? People talk about Aspen or talk about the Hamptons or other resort-type communities where you have large numbers of second homes, where you have growth controls that limit the number of, 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 ho- of housing that drive up prices, and you have tourism. Is it worth looking at those places to try and understand either best practices or worst practices in some cases? Absolutely. Uh, We have uh, the uh, former city manager of Aspen used to live here in Napa, and so we have been talking to him and and others to uh, find out what's happening out there. Some of these places are struggling with the same issues we are. Mm -hmm. I just read earlier this week about Mammoth Lakes down in uh, Southern California, and uh, they passed an ordinance there uh, before anybody else uh, prohibiting uh, Airbnb. And uh, it's still a, a, prob- a significant problem that they're struggling to deal with. So in some cases, we're all in the same boat. But in other cases, there are some solutions. And I think that uh, there's a lot to learn out there. And I think that uh, Napa can contribute to the understanding of other communities. And we have things to offer. But there's also a lot for us to learn. The thing that we have that is fundamentally different than some of those is the issue of agriculture. And that's what, what you're in the thick of now, that the county's in the thick of now in terms of, of APAC and in terms of trying to figure out how agriculture fits into that larger equation? Agriculture is, it, you're right, is the key. And it's something, again, that is one of those aspects of Napa that I just find utterly fascinating. Um, I grew up and was born and raised in Fresno, which is itself an agricultural area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, before coming here, worked in Fresno and Tulare counties in Yolo. And so I've had a fairly long uh, background in growth management and planning in agricultural areas. Uh, high quality farmland in Fresno is $5,000 an acre, maybe. High quality farmland in Yolo County is maybe $15,000 an acre. High quality in Napa farmland is around four dollars to $500,000 an acre. That is astonishing. You're not going to find very many places on the planet where agriculture can truly economically compete with development. Development's Land prices are frequently far beyond those of ag. Ag is almost an afterthought for most places. But here, ag is actually can be a competitive economic force with development. That's, that is very unique here. And at the other places you mentioned, like Aspen, like the Hamptons, there you're, reply, you're relying on, on natural beauty, which Napa has, but it's agriculture that really underlies it, and that's something you're not going to find in very many other mm-hmm. places. The other thing that goes along with that is the tourism and the idea of engagement tourism, which is what drives a lot of people here. The opportunity, unlike going to a beach or to a museum, you know, you don't get to meet the artist at the museum, but you get to meet the winemaker here. Yeah, uh, and that is uh, an important emotional experience for people when they come here. Um, 
they uh, but again that's that's a trend that's um happening in in a lot of segments across the country uh people want to uh, they do want to meet the people who are the craftsmen and mm-hmm. the artisans behind the products that they're buying increasingly the having uh, spent the last 20 years in Sacramento the uh, uh farm to fork movement is very prominent over there where uh, it's not uncommon for restaurateurs to meet with the people who are providing the food to them and supplying them and for the uh, consumers, the customers at those restaurants, to also meet the farmers and have the farmers and the chefs and the customers all uh, meet together in these very large events. Um, so I think it's a. I think it's not just related to wine. I think it's something that a lot of, especially twenty and thirty year olds, want to to experience these days. But for Napa, it, it is a key part of it. And um, uh, but I think that the and when it comes to tourism in Napa, I think the future lies not in expanding the number of tourists, but in but in terms of targeting the tourists who are a right fit for Napa. Um, uh, Napa's wines are at the higher end, mm-hmm. um, as they should be, given the prices uh, and the cost it, it, to produce wine here. Um, and so uh, bringing in 5 or 10 million tourists aren't necessarily going to help the wine industry if those 10 million tourists can't afford a $200 bottle of wine. So the question isn't increasing the volume, but the question is refining the the people who come here to those people who are particularly suited to want to purchase products made in, here in Napa. And I, so I think it's a matter of uh, becoming more uh, discreet and becoming more sophisticated about how we target tourists, not necessarily just increasing the number of tourists. Right. To what extent do you think that the marketplace is taking care of that? Certainly if you talk to Clay Gregory and the Visit Napa Valley folks, they will say exactly the same thing. What they want is essentially higher-end tourists. And, and given the hotel situation here, and you know, five six hundred dollars a night is the baseline, the minimum baseline on the weekends for most of the nicer hotels, and it goes up from there. Th- that is, to a certain extent, the kind of tourism that that we're attracting more of. And then there's the international component, which is beginning to grow even even bigger. Talk a little bit about that in, in the context of this. That the other part of it is the changing demographic of people that have money here in the Bay Area. It used to be an older tourist that fit the bill of what, what you were talking about. Now, because of Silicon Valley and, and because of the Bay, and San Francisco and the Bay Area in general, we're getting younger tourists that have uh, a, a wider range of tourists that have the kind of money we're talking about. Absolutely. And I think that uh, in talking with industry people and uh, having moved here only 18 months ago, I'm still, there's still a lot I'm trying to get caught up on. But uh, in terms of reading and trying to do that research, um, there are concerns out there that uh, uh, Cabernet is king now, may not always be ca- uh, king, didn't used to be. Uh, their trends can change. Uh, and also a concern and a sensitivity to Napa not becoming your father's tourist destination. We don't want to become another Las Vegas or another Palm Springs, uh, things that were quaint and antiquated uh, and kitschy back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Napa doesn't want to become that. We need to remain fresh. We need to be vibrant and, and uh, relevant to the uh, to the larger society. Um, there's a lot of younger people coming here, and, and they want a different experience than the people who are in their 60s and 70s. And I think we have to remain attuned to that. Um, and I'll, in terms of uh, how we do that or what the best strategy is, I'll leave that to the industry experts. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But the, uh, but what I think the the critical takeaway uh, for uh, our department in supporting the board of supervisors is the need to work with the cities. Um, the county has a handful of hotels. Most of the hotel rooms are in the cities. This goes back to 
the uh, grand bargain, as the uh, CEO likes to call it, that goes back over 50 years, where the county says, we're not going to develop. Our goal is agriculture. Our job is agriculture. And we're going to focus and do that the best we can. Um, development belongs in the cities. And I think that's a great strategy. It's one that Yellow County's also followed for a great long time. And, it's, and I think it's very effective when it works. Um, the, uh, but so while we have a couple of hotels, most of the hotels are in the cities. Most of the restaurants are in the cities. Um, so when we talk about that uh, three-pronged three approach to tourism of wineries, hotels, and restaurants, the county only has one of those. The other two are in the cities. So what we have to do is work well with the cities. Um, and the other aspect about especially luxury tourism is that it requires a lot of people. You can't automate uh, uh, when you're having charging those kind of rates. People demand high levels of personal and prompt service. So unlike a lot of places, you'll see um, two or three employees per hotel room at luxury hotels where you're not going to get that at a Best Western. Um, and so there's a higher employee demand. Those employees need some place to live and shop and go to school and go to the doctor. And those all occur in the cities. So uh, as part of the roadshow that you referenced earlier, uh, my presentation has been talking about how the county needs the cities for its hotels and restaurants and to provide the services for the people who live and work here. The cities need the county because that's where the agricultural area is that it is not the only reason, but it was the main draws for why people come here to the first place. And the industry needs both of us, and we all have to work together. There hasn't been the level of cooperation and coordination that I think we need to be. I think there's still a ways to go on that. But uh, there are uh, uh, bridges and roads being built as we speak, and I, I hope that, they'll be, uh, that those avenues will be more fruitful in the future. And that really is, is the question that it comes down to, whether you think all of the stakeholders in the county are at the table in some of the discussions that are going on now. Because certainly there's a lot of discussions going on be about wineries and development and events and permits and all of that. But all of that very much involves the city as more hotel rooms get built, as more restaurants come in, that there's no way really to separate these things without a lot of problems coming later. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, and that is, um, I think, and I think a part of that evolution of Napa, um, we're no longer the uh, city of Calistoga and the city of Yonville and the city of St. Helena. Everybody refers to this as Napa Valley. We are one valley. We, are, we have multiple communities within that valley, but the, um, in terms of the broader society, we are one uh, area, and we need to uh, do a better job of, of, of uh, ensuring that of recognizing differences and, and accommodating those differences, but acting in a unified manner going forward because we are competing against other regions that are fully integrated. And if we don't do a better job of coordinating, um, we will start to lose some of that competitive edge. Um, and But more importantly, uh, we aren't really going to come up with effective solutions if we aren't working together. Um, so uh, on APAC that you mentioned earlier, the Agricultural Protection Advisory Committee, uh, we appointed representatives from cities. We re appointed representatives from nonprofit groups mm -hmm. and from farming and from the industry and from the tourism industry because we wanted to get as broad of a diverse voice as we could to make sure that we were on the, going in the right way to solve these problems. Um, in the, in the uh, six or eight months since APAC was formed, we've had a meeting of the mayors and the uh, chair of the Board of Supervisors. 
the planning directors for the cities and myself are coming up on our second meeting as we're starting to try and work together and do better on policy. There's a lot more going on. It may not be um, out in front. It may be more behind the scenes. But as I say, I think a lot of the infrastructure, the organizational infrastructure, the contacts are starting to be built. And, and um, you know, it would have been helpful if it had been start a process that started sooner, but it's happening now, and I think that's the important thing. And you think that it's on a good track right now? I think we're heading in the right direction. I think we're, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a hunger out there among a lot of people to want to talk together and work together on these problems that, uh, that perhaps may not have been there in the past. David Morrison, Napa County Planning Director, I thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. Thank you, Jeff. I, I really enjoyed this. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.